0: All right. Good evening. All right. Can everybody hear me? All right. Good. Turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter thirty-three. And uh, while you're turning there, I heard a story about this guy. He was he'd gone to get a haircut. He was in a barber shop. And if you if you've ever been to a barber shop, you know it, women. You may not know this, but Guys, if you've been to a barber shop, you know how a lot of times the the barber will be a big old fat jolly guy, and he'll be telling stories and and uh, jokes and all that kind of stuff. And at least that's what I remember when I would go to the barber. And I didn't go that many times. It was usually after I tried to cut my hair and messed it up, and then then I had to go to a real barber to get it fixed. But this guy was in the in the barber shop. He was sitting in the chair getting his hair cut, and the barbers there just joking around and telling stories. And all of a sudden, the, the barber says, oh, watch this. This is, this is going to be the funniest thing you've ever seen. Seen that kid through the window that's about to walk in here? That is the dumbest kid you have ever seen. Just, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Watch. So the kid walks in, and the barber steps out from behind the chair, and he pulls out of his pocket a dollar bill, and he holds that in one hand, and he has two quarters in the other hand. And he says to the kid, hey, which one do you want, the dollar bill or the two quarters? And the kid looked at it, and he grabbed the two quarters. And he ran out of the barber shop so happy and excited that he had two quarters. And as soon as the door shut, the barber just busted out laughing and said, didn't I tell you that's the dumbest kid ever, isn't it? And so the kid walked across the street into the ice cream shop. And this man that had been getting his hair cut, he got his hair cut and everything, and as he was walking out the door of the barber shop, he saw the kid walking out the door of the ice cream shop across the street. So he went over to the kid and he said, hey, hey kid, I just want to ask you a question. Don't you know that a dollar's worth more than two quarters? Why'd you choose the two quarters? And the kid said, are you kidding? The day that I choose the dollar bill, he'll stop playing that game with me. <laughs> so. That kid knew where his blessings were coming from. And I'll uh, turn to Psalm chapter number 33. If you're there, I'll read verse number... Let's actually start in verse number 10. And we'll read through verse 12. And then we'll have prayer real quick. It says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever the thoughts of his heart to all generations. And this is really the thought that I want to pull out of it. In verse 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And uh, just, I want to think about that thought here. Um, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we're just going to look at some, a few thoughts here. And I hope I'm not too depressing this evening. But I'm just gonna, we're going to look at a few things. And, and hopefully it will cause us to, to think a little bit. And before we get into it too far, let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your blessings, Lord. And we just ask that you would speak to us this evening. And Lord, you have been so good. And we take that for granted so many times. I just ask that you'd help us to be reminded of that. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so as we, as we look at this, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I think all of us... Probably, just across the board, we could look at this nation and say, we've been blessed. I mean, you, you look at the blessings our nation has experienced, and I think a lot of it stems from because our nation was founded upon biblical principles. Our Constitution really was, was taken a lot of it right out of principles of the Bible. And a lot of our founding fathers were Christians. Yeah, granted, not all of them were. But... Even, even those that weren't had a sort of uh, moral fiber and a respect of the Bible. Even many times people say, well, look at Benjamin Franklin. He wasn't a Christian. No, he may not have been a Christian, but there, there was a time during the Constitutional Convention as the Founding Fathers were meeting and they were arguing back and forth about what different ideas and principles they should put in the Constitution of this United States of America and they, they were getting nowhere. They were just, just totally, I mean, they were arguing with each other. And they couldn't come to any kind of agreement. And after they'd been arguing for days, Benjamin Franklin stood up and he he said, You know, don't you think that we ought to come to the to the creator of heaven and earth and implore him for wisdom and advice as we establish this constitution of these states? And... At that point, they, they decided, you know what? That's a good idea. They had forgot to come to God in prayer and ask for His wisdom. And they did that. And then they began to talk among each other. And before long, they were able to come to some agreements. And out of that came our Constitution. And really stemming from that Constitution, we've been granted so many freedoms and privileges that really pretty much no other nation in this world has ever experienced. But we think about the blessings that we have as a nation, and we think about the material blessings of us as a nation. Did you realize that um, a household that earns $20,000 or more per year is in the top 10% of incomes in the entire world? And that would, I'd say that's probably most households I mean, that's not just individual. That's household income. And that would put those people or those households in the top 10% of income earning in the world. And in, in America, I mean, we are blessed. Most people have at least two cars in their driveway. And, mo- I mean, most people, they, they have an abundance of food. They can go open the fridge up, and there's plenty of food there to eat, plenty of junk food usually in the cabinets. And, I mean, we, we are so blessed in that I doubt anybody in here is starving. I, I know nobody in here is starving. And most people in this country, you're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody that's actually starving. Whereas around the world, it's a, it's a commonplace thing. I remember when we went to Haiti and there was, there was kids, you could see the bones sticking out of their, out of their ribs. And, and there was even kids that were bloated from lack of food. And it, it was just sad to see that, but that's the case many places around the world, and yet in America, where we have as much food as we want for the most part, and our standard of living is very high compared to the rest of the world. I mean, like I said, most, most people have a couple cars in their driveway, whereas a lot of places in the world, I've heard that many people would just like, they'd be happy to have a bicycle, but they can't afford a bicycle. and then you think about the natural resources that we have in this country. A lot of times we don't consider that, but we are blessed with vast amounts of natural resources throughout this country. I mean, vast oil reserves, vast, and I know that's kind of looked down on now with all this green push and stuff, but the the oil that we have, the coal that we have in this country, and that gives us the ability to generate the electricity that they're pushing so much And then, I mean, we have fertile farmlands and the ability to grow abundant crops in this country. You think about even the fact that we've got an ocean on both sides that serve as protection for us. And you think about just all the the abilities and opportunities that we have in this country. I mean, a person, they can if they set their mind to it, they can pretty much become anything they want to. Or they can at least try at it. But our founding fathers gave us that right and that ability to the pursuit of happiness. And we have that in this country, whereas many other countries don't have that. Many countries, you're born into a certain social class, and you're never granted the privilege to rise above that. You're stuck there for your whole life. And yet here in this country, you can be born on the bottom, and you can work hard, you can, you can sweat and save your pennies, and you can make something of yourself. Also, not only just the material blessings, but the, these blessings that our founding fathers granted us with the freedom of, of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We have the freedom of speech that's granted to us in the Bill of Rights, the freedom of speech, the freedom to exercise our religion freely. To worship the freedom together, the freedom to keep and bear arms. And by the way, let me just say that that freedom is the one that protects all the rest of them. And so that's not something we should be giving up very soon. I know that there's critics that point to that and say, oh, we need to take away weapons. Oh, nobody needs to have an AR-15. Did you realize that there was more people that were killed by hammers and blunt objects last year than were killed by AR-15s? That's a ridiculous argument. But that's a freedom that we have. The freedom to own private property. Aren't we blessed by that? I mean, you can work hard and you can buy a house for yourself. you can buy a car for yourself. You can can prosper in this country. We're blessed in that regard. We've got the freedom to be successful. We also have the freedom to fail. And yeah, that, that does happen sometimes. But we got the freedom. And anybody that sets their mind to it, they can try something. Maybe they don't always succeed. But we've got, the, we've got that freedom that we can work hard and we can make something of our lives in this country. Most of the world doesn't have that. But we have these freedoms, these blessings that are granted to us by God. Because I believe, as it says there, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I really believe that those blessings stem from the fact that This nation was founded on biblical principles. And not only that, but Christianity has really had the opportunity to thrive here. And this country has given, I'm sure, billions, if not trillions of dollars to spreading the gospel around the world over the course of since the founding of this country. And so this this country has really made God its foundation at least in the past. But I'm afraid that it's slipping away from that. If you would, turn, stay in the book of Psalms, but turn back to chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9. And verse number 17. And this verse says, and this is kind of a... it, it makes you think a little bit. Because this verse is really, to be honest, it's not very happy or encouraging. But it says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, could it be that our nation is slipping to that point where we're forgetting God? Could it be that we become wicked? And I I believe it is. If you just think of some of the things that have been allowed to take place in this country. We look at the wickedness that goes on. You think about, and I've just got a few things here, there's much more that we could talk about, but you think about abortion. And abortion is the taking of an innocent human life. That that baby that's in the womb is not just a piece of tissue. It's a It's a real life. I mean, how would you have liked it if your parents aborted you? I mean, I guess you wouldn't be here today, but, I mean, you're real. Everybody that's walking around out there is real. They're real human life. And just because they're outside of the womb doesn't make them any less alive than a child that's inside the womb. And it's to say that that is not a human life and there is a blatant disregard for just basic biology. It's, it is evident that that is a human life. And yet, since 1973, between 1973 and 2018, there were 61.8 million plus babies that were aborted in the United States of America when you consider that our total population is, I think it's somewhere around 300 million right now, that's a pretty good size percentage of what our population would be. And yet those, those babies were murdered. If you consider that, just here's a few statistics that I'll throw out there, and this is actually statistics by, that are put out there by the, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but the Gutmaker Institute, which is a pro abortion organization but the statistics that they put out is that 186 out of or there's 106 or 186 babies per 1000 live births that are aborted so that's almost a fifth of pregnancies in an abortion and then there are 2,362 plus abortions per day, 96 or 98 plus abortions per hour, one abortion every 96 seconds. Those statistics are staggering to consider that that's a child that's being murdered. And we, we look at that and that that abortion has been embraced really as a whole in this country. It's been legalized. And I believe that's a wicked thing. You look in the Bible and, and look at the, the, the different nations that would sacrifice their children to a God called Molech. And they would actually offer their children as sacrifices to this God. And God said that that was an abomination to him. And he actually wiped out nations because of their sacrifice of children to Molech. And yet we consider that's, that's exactly what's done here in the United States every single day of the week. And then, not only that, we look at the wickedness of abortion, but also think about the, the wickedness of promiscuity and pornography that is so rampant in this country. Um, just think about this. In, uh, back in 2006, and I'm sure it's probably more now, but in 2006, there was an estimated $13 billion that was generated by the pornography industry in the United States alone. And then there was, uh, if if you consider this, this is pretty staggering as well. Every second, there is an estimated 28,258 viewers of pornography online. There is $3,076 spent every second on online pornography. One in five mobile searches is for porn. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women watch porn at least once per month. There's approximately 71% of teens hide their online behavior from their parents. And then to consider also, according to statistics, approximately 25% of men and 15% of women cheat on their spouses. So we look at this, this uh, industry and this, this uh, just basically promiscuity and this pornography addiction that's affecting our nation, that is also wickedness that God is not happy with. And it's wickedness that, that will bring judgment on this nation because of that. As it says... The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. When people are involved in this, that is a definite sign of forgetting God because he gives very clear guidelines in the scriptures that we are not to be part of that. Um, if you think also about the, the sexual confusion that's been running rampant in our country, it's, it's staggering. Um, last I heard, I think there's like supposedly like 59 genders that 's pretty ridiculous don 't you think yep. and the the LGbtq plus i mean i don 't know how many more letters they want to add to it, but that agenda is growing more militant all the time, and i mean it's becoming it 's getting pushed down people 's throats more and more every day now i 'll tell you a story i don 't know if this goes along with it or not, but I thought it was funny so this there 's this farm and at this farm, there's these three bulls. They were there's one older bull and, and another bull that was kind of middle-aged and then one young bull. And they were out there in the field talking and, and the old bull said to the other ones, he said, did you guys hear that there's supposed to be another bull coming into this farm here soon? And they were all talking to each other and, and so the old bull, he said, I'll tell you what, he can come in here, but I'm not going to give him any of my 30 cows. And then... The, the next bull, he said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I've only got 20 cows, but there's no way that I'm going to give up any of my cows. And then the young bull, he said, well, I'm still the young guy on the block here. I've only got 10 cows, but but yeah, I'm not going to give any of them up. So anyways, the day came that this this new bull came out, and they brought this big trailer out there to the farm, and and they dropped the loading ramps down, and this big Brahmin bull just stomps out of this trailer, and I mean, every step the the ground's just shaking. And those bulls kind of looked at each other, and they said, "You know what?" The older bull he said, "You know what? I I think I maybe had a change of mind here. I uh, I might give up a few of them cows." And the the middle-aged bull said, "Well, it looks like I might have to do the same thing." And they looked over to see where the young bull was, and they. They couldn't find him, and then, then they saw him over there by the fence, right, right in front of the big bull that had just come to the farm, and he was there stamping and snorting and just kicking up dust, and they ran over there to him, and they said, are you crazy? What do you think you're doing? Look at that guy. He'll, he'll clobber you. And the young bull, he, he said, well, well, they said, aren't you going to give your cows up, and he said, I, that's not what I'm, I'm here about. I'm not necessarily looking for a fight. I just want to make sure he knows I'm not a cow. And <laughs> something that I've noticed is that that animals don't seem to get confused about their gender very, very much. I've, I've not noticed any of them. But for some reason, humans, it seems to be getting to be more and more of a common thing that, that's happening more and more all the time. And I mean, even, even the fact that I, I heard recently about some kind of a court case where there was this little kid, like, I don't know, six or seven years old, and his, his parents were split up, but his mother was wanting to give him um, some kind of a gender transitioning surgery, and the dad didn't want it. And yet the mom took this thing to court, and they actually passed it where they, the dad was forced to allow this kid to have gender-altering surgery. And that's ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid. When you think about it, why can't people just think straight? It's, it's just plain and simple, isn't it? Why do people have to get confused about what should and shouldn't be allowed? It's just basic biology. And to me, it seems like it'd be a whole lot easier to help, just help a kid to realize what God actually made them to be instead of having to start cutting off body parts and changing what they really are. It's only basic common sense, and yet we see that wickedness that's taking place in this country nowadays, and you look at Romans chapter 1, it talks about that. There's many places in the Bible that talk about it, but then another wickedness that we see running rampant in our country is the wickedness of alcohol and drugs, and that it's, it, it's becoming acceptable. I, you know, back when I was, I don't know, I just got my driver's license, I, I was maybe around 17 or so and I was I was uh, kind of stupid and I went and I w- we had this little fruit stand or whatever and we'd set up a sign out in the median down here and it was before they put the frontage roads in and all that stuff and so it was just a median in the middle of the highway and we put this sign up that was made out of pallets that advertised our fruit stand and we just had it pointing up and then we had like a little self-serve stand. so. On the weekends, or on Sunday, we'd, we would uh, shut it down for church. And so I'd gone down there to the median and picked the sign up, to it in the back of the truck, and there was traffic in front of me, so I thought, oh, I'll just back up. So I backed up across the northbound lane, and just went, I was going to back up all the way to my house and my truck. And unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't look very close, and there was a police officer that saw me do that. And so... He pulled up the road, I guess in front of me because I was going backwards. So he pulled up the road with his lights on. And he, I stopped. And he got out of his car. And he was kind of upset. And he said, what do you think you're doing? And I said, I was backing up. And, and all of a sudden, you know what was funny is his car started rolling forward. <laughs> he forgot to put it in park. And, can you believe that after all that, he actually gave me a ticket? <laughs> and so I got a ticket. And he said, do you want to go to court, or do you want to pay the fine? And I said, well, I'll take my chance in court. So I went to court, and the judge was real nice. She told me I had to go to a safe driving class. So I went to this safe driving class, and I, I got in there. And, it was filled up with mostly young people like me. And there was probably like, I don't know, 50 young people there. And then the instructor, and they, uh, they made us watch this scary movie called like Red Asphalt 3. And it showed all these crazy, bloody car wrecks and stuff. And they, they just tried to scare you to death to make you drive safe. But I remember they had this discussion on uh, because there was a lot of the guys that were there that actually they got tickets for like alcohol possession and stuff like that. So the instructor was talking about, they were talking about uh, like drunk driving and stuff like that. And I just remember the thing that kind of stuck in my mind was that this instructor was talking to all these maybe like late teens or early twenties people and they were talking about driving safe while you were drinking. And they were talking about different ways that you could avoid DWIs. And people were raising, he was like asking, it was like public discussion, and he had people raise their hands to give suggestions, and people would raise their hands and say, well, you could have a designated driver, and and people would give different ideas. Some people raised their hand and said, well, just carry a cup of coffee around with you, that maybe that way maybe you'll pass a breathalyzer test, and and then people talked about, like, sticking a penny in your in your mouth or something. I don't know if that's supposed to help you pass a breathalyzer. I don't know. But I raised my hand and said, well, maybe you could just not drink. And it was crazy. It just, like, got dead silent, and everybody stared at me like, what's your problem? Like, that's this stupid idea. And the instructor, he looked at me, and he said, well, I mean, I guess that's one way, but we're... We're like trying to talk about realistic things here. And it was, you know, I was just kind of dumbfounded that it's drinking and alcohol is so acceptable in our society nowadays. And people that actually don't do it are kind of thought of as being dumb or stupid. And yet the Bible, if we just look at what the Bible says, and I know different people argue about different things, but there's the verse in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, that says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I think that's kind of into discussion, don't you? That's what the Bible says about it. That ought to be what we think about it. And same thing goes for drugs. I mean, they're, they mess people up. They're not worth getting into. But yet, that stuff is so acceptable in our society. And then we, we think about even some of the other wickedness that goes on. This is maybe one that's more acceptable to us is, our sin of idolatry, materialism. And that's the one that gets us as Christians a lot of times. Like we get so wrapped up in, in stuff. It's easy to do. It's I mean, it's just it comes natural for us. We want more and more and more stuff, and we're never satisfied. And yet, God calls that covetousness. He calls it idolatry. When we make stuff our God and make it more important than He is. And so Not to spend too much time on all this, but it says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Are we forgetting God? Are we becoming wicked as a society? Let me just state that, you know, this this election that's coming up, I believe, is very, very important. And if you look at the things that I just talked about here that the Bible is pretty clear about, you can see some pretty clear-cut lines between the two different parties and what they stand for. And, I mean, I don't believe any genuine Christian ought to be standing for abortion or for having our our freedoms taken away as citizens of this country. That's, That's not very patriotic, in my opinion. It's throwing away what so many people have sacrificed and shed their blood for. And yet, ultimately, you know what it comes down to is, more importantly, and it is important that we vote and who we vote for, but... It's important that we have revival in our own personal lives because if we keep going the direction we're going as a society, it's inevitable that we're going to be destroyed. It's inevitable that that we're going to fall all great nations in the past, they've all fallen at some point. You look at the nation of Rome, the nation of Rome was pretty much the greatest conquering nation that had ever been around up until their time. And yet, do you remember how they were brought down? It was from within they decayed from within. They became so gross and immoral that they just basically lost their whole work ethic. They lost all that the previous generations had worked so hard for and fought for and sacrificed for and they just became a hedonistic society that, that was lazy and, and just wanted to party all the time and, and that got involved in all kinds of sin and they decayed and they were brought down from within. And that's what, unfortunately, it seems maybe happening in America but let me just say that a nation that forgets god will experience his judgment and I, you look at even just this, this pandemic or maybe maybe we should call it a pandemic but you look at the all the after effects of it my personal thought I, I i i know i mean it's real i'm not doubting that it's real and that there's people that have gotten sick and that have died over it but to me, it seems like they're making it very political and trying to scare people, scare people into submission and kind of like a, I don't know if if you've ever seen a herd of cows that if one of them gets scared and they start to stampede, they lose their whole mind. They just, they're stupid. They just run and they'll run to their own destruction. And that's what it seems like is that they're trying to create with this pandemic and trying to scare people. I mean, you pretty much proved it with how the shelves emptied up of toilet paper. That's, I mean, that's pretty much proof that everybody was just stampeding and, and over such a stupid thing, probably just because somebody wrote in a news article that, and they started talking about it on TV about how toilet paper was disappearing, and so it just created mass pandemonium and confusion where everybody thought, Oh no, I better, I better go get toilet paper or else I'll be... Uh, I'll, be, I'll have to stay in the bathroom for weeks at a time. I won't be able to leave. And so everybody had to go buy up toilet paper. Uh, totally ridiculous. And yet that's what seems to me is happening. And I believe, honestly, that's part of God's judgment. That, that's what we see. You know, something that's, not to get into too much detail with this, but something that I, I see that's, I I believe God's been very merciful to us as a country. And there's so much that could happen that hasn't happened yet, but so much that could happen as a country, just as a scenario. Consider this. Um, What is probably one of the things we rely on most every single day? It's electricity. I mean, we walk into our house, flip the light switch on, lights pop on, even while you're not... At your house, your refrigerator's still running. Your—I mean—we rely on our computers. Um, we rely on on our cars a lot, and our cars rely on computers that are inside of them that tell them when to when to fire the spark plugs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we rely on electricity a lot. Electricity is basically what what um, gets food from one side of the country to the other. What gets fuel from one place back and forth. Our electricity, um, it. Basically runs this entire country, and consider if the electric grid was shut down. And think about this: there's approximately about 2,000 extremely high-voltage transformers in this country, across the country, that that powered various substations and that spread that electricity around throughout the country. But and those those extremely high-voltage transformers, they are huge. I mean, they're like the size of a house. They take about a year and a half to build. There's two countries in the world that build them for export, which is South Korea and Germany. And so here in America, we don't actually even produce them ourselves. These high-voltage transformers, they come from, from those two countries in the world, and they take a long time to build. And then consider this, that if you were to take out as few as nine of those transformers, it would induce extremely high currents into much of the other parts of the grid and cause those transformers to self-destruct. And actually back in, I think April 16th of 2013, there was an attack on a transformer in, um, in San Jose, California. It was the Metcalf transformer. And it was attacked by some guys with AK-47s, a common, rifle, and they just shot the transformer and took power out for quite a long period of time in that, that part of California. That was one transformer. But just consider that a small group of well-equipped, or not even super well-equipped individuals, but just some people with some rifles could actually take out nine or ten of those transformers and affect the power grid throughout most of this country. And most of those transformers could actually self-destruct, and if they did, well, remember it takes like 18 months to two to two years to build one of those transformers. If those things self-destructed, just think about how long we'd be without power. Now you consider about what would take place if we were out po- without power, even just for a couple months across the whole country. I mean, there'd be a lot of death, wouldn't there? People rely on that power for their food, for their fuel, for I mean you think about hospitals. Hospitals would shut down and everybody in them would die without electricity. And even even kind of scarier is, I know Frank's familiar with this, but if you've ever heard of EMP, it stands for electromagnetic pulse. And basically what it it's like a like a like super powerful lightning, basically. And it it's created by exploding a nuclear weapon in the atmosphere. Um, and actually, if they exploded a nuclear weapon in the atmosphere about 300 kilometers above the surface of the Earth, right over the central part of the United States, it would blow out power throughout the whole country. It would, it would totally fry all electronics, all your computers, all, your, all the transformers that supply power to us, all your automobiles. They all have circuit boards in them, all the modern o- automobiles we'd be shut down, Um, and and that's something that could fairly easily be done. In fact, the same day that 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 Metcalf transformer was attacked in 2013, that same day, North Korea had a satellite that was on a direct trajectory over the central part of the United States where it would be an optimal place to explode one of those EMPs, and they've got the technology to do it. In fact, not only do they—it doesn't take an extremely complicated nuclear weapon to do that. And so, even a Scud missile that was launched from maybe some freighter ship and launched above the United States, um, it, it, there's many countries. I mean, of course, China and North Korea and Russia, Iran, and even—I mean, there's there's different rogue groups such as uh, Al Qaeda and. ISIS, these different groups, I mean, some of them would not hesitate to do something like that if they had the opportunity. And so what I'm saying is is that that could be something in the future for us as a country. We don't know, but it says in in, uh, Lamentations chapter number 3, it says it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. And I would say that as a as Christians, we need to thank God for the mercy that he's shown us because we don't deserve the blessings that we have. Not right now. Even if it wasn't for our wickedness, we still wouldn't deserve the blessings that we have. But with the wickedness of our country that our country has, has swallowed, we really don't deserve God's mercy at all. These things, God could just take his hand off of us just a little bit and this stuff could happen. And I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the president that we have because he, he's been made aware of some of that danger with the nuclear EMPs. And he has made some executive orders to harden the electrical grid. And it is possible to do that with something called a Faraday cage, not to get into stuff too scientific, but it is possible to protect those transformers and our electrical grid from the risk of an EMP attack. But so far as of yet, that's not been done very widely. And so, as far as I know, we're still at great risk if something like that was to occur. But we just, if we think about that, we think about the state of our country and all of God's mercy that he's shown on us in that something like that hasn't already happened. And I would say the most important thing for us to do is to to repent and to turn back to God as Christians It says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Uh, Think about the story of Jonah. Turn to Jonah chapter 3, if you would, and we'll just wrap up with this. Jonah, of course, we know he was commanded by God to go to the nation of Nineveh, and he didn't want to go. And I can't say that I blame him, really, because Nineveh was... Israel's arch enemy at that time and they were, they were wicked and cruel people. I mean, when they'd have captives, I've heard that they would actually like impale them and light the streets with their bodies, starting them on fire. And they'd, they'd have these big poles lined up along the streets and they'd have Jews that were just impaled on those posts that were sticking up and they'd just slowly slide down those posts and, and be there for a few days before they would die. So the Ninevites, they were wicked and they were cruel people. And God told Jonah to go to that country of Assyria and preach to those people in the city of Nineveh and command them to repent. And Jonah didn't want to do it. But finally, you know how he got swallowed by the great fish and he repented. He said, I'm sorry. And the fish puked him up. And he he went and preached to the city of Nineveh. And we see there in chapter 3, Um, It says here, I'm just going to read the whole chapter and we'll just wrap it up with that. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water." But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. Now we, we see that nation of Nineveh and those people repented and they were saved. And I think that's, that's our only hope, really. Long term as a nation, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed yet. But if we don't repent, there's, there's no guarantee how long that's going to last, how long right. he's going to give us right. his mercy. Because like I said, there's so many things, even other than that EMP threat that, that we see that is a very real threat and that we think probably couldn't happen or it's easy for us to try to put it out of our mind and say, oh, that would never happen. But we probably never thought this pandemic would happen either. And there's a, there's a thousand other things that we probably would think could never happen, and yet they could if God just lifted his hand. The key for us is that we as God's people, that we are right with him, that we repent, and we ought to pray. And I would say even as these elections are coming up, we ought to pray for them. We ought to, I mean, we ought to even consider doing like what this king of Nineveh proclaimed. He proclaimed a fast. We ought to maybe consider that. Going without some of our our comfort food for just a little bit. We ought to repent and turn to God and examine our own hearts. I mean, I have to say, I'm, I'm not perfect by any means either. I've failed God in a lot of ways, and there's stuff that I have in my own life that I, as I was thinking about this, I thought, man, I, I need to get those things right with God as well. And I know probably each of us has things that we would say, In the whole scheme of things are not that important, yet we make them very important in our life. We make them our our gods. And yet, really, He's the one that we should have as our priority in our life. I'm just going to stop with that. I don't want to go too much overboard here. I know I've already gone a little overboard, but I want us to think about that this evening. As we consider our own lives, let's examine ourselves inside, and let's pray for our country. And even as as Daniel, you look in the book of Daniel, and Daniel, he was a good guy, he was a righteous guy, and yet he prayed and he repented for his country. He repented for the nation of Israel. Even though he wasn't necessarily directly part of the sin, he repented for them. And I think that's a good idea for us as well. It's a good thing for us to do is just pray and repent for our country. Tell God we're sorry and, and do our part as citizens of this great nation that God has blessed so much. Let's bow our heads right now and let's pray.